This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Logan on from Motivocity, and our topic today is re-engaging quiet quitters and cyber loafers. This is going to be fun, and this is actually the first podcast I've done on quiet quitters or quiet quitting, so uh, I think it's going to be really fun to explore with Logan. Logan, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and Motivocity? Absolutely. I appreciate it, William, and I'm, I'm glad to be here with you today. And good, we get a we get a fresh topic then on uh, on that quiet quitting. Right. Um, let me let me give you a little bit about my background. I uh, I grew up in Michigan and uh, currently reside in in Utah. I growing up was always told that I would be really great at sales, and so that's where I started my career. Um, but what I learned is that people meant when they said I'd be great at sales, what they really meant was Logan, you're a pretty nice guy, and you can sort of talk to people. And so. Uh, <laughs> um, I eventually that that led my career uh, in into marketing, and that was the perfect place for me. Spent most of that time in um, in technology and and marketing B two B SaaS products, um, and have have just had this this really great career around marketing, uh, and I've always been responsible for really um, respectable um, products. But not always fun products, right? I've I've typically been involved with, um, you know, I was in a <clears throat> in a uh, worked for a publishing company for a number of years doing their marketing. Then I I was in project management and business phone systems and web conferencing, and and one of the boxes I wanted to check in my career was to work for a really fun product. And that's how uh, one of the reasons that I started working for, for Motivocity a number of years ago. I, I was actually a, a user at a previous employer. Motivocity is a uh, employee recognition platform and we help companies build cultures of gratitude and connectedness. And the reason we focus on those two things is because when you feel appreciated for your work, and recognized for your day-to-day efforts. And when you have meaningful relationships with your team members, you stay longer, you contribute more, and 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 you're a better team member. And so uh, Motivocity does that through through peer-to-peer recognition. I, I think that's a, that's probably a pretty good intro, but I'm that's, happy to dig in deeper. That's a great intro, actually, on both sides, both the personal and the professional. Um, let's get to kind of, you know, first of all, quiet quitting. What's your what's your kind of working definition right now? What's what do you when you when you hear that or see that in the media, et cetera, like what is it what does it automatically kind of take you to? Yeah, you know, so I, I think when I talk about or when I think or read about quiet quitting, it's kind of this idea of people basically giving up at work, right? And right. and just riding the wave and getting the paycheck <laughs> without contributing. When when you spend a little more time thinking about it, or or particularly, I think where I've learned a lot is actually in LinkedIn comments. If you go read posts about quiet quitting, you'll see some really interesting um, kind of these two paths that occur, one from employees and one from you know, executives or managers or, or company owners. 
And I actually think the nomenclature makes a big difference, meaning people are, um, the, the employees are thinking quiet quitting is one thing and the employers are thinking it's another, right? And, and quiet quitting to employees, that means that they are doing, like they're not doing more than their job description. Like, right. like employers are expecting employees to go above and beyond and work hard and take on extra projects. And, and employees are saying, that's not in my job description. I'm not getting paid for that. And therefore, no. But I think, again, the other side of, of quiet quitting is really the people who are doing nothing and they're just skating by. Right. So a couple of things, because uh, you, you've already touched on it, but it's discretionary effort. That's always been there on yes. some level, in some way or shape or form uh, through the years. Discretionary is all a discretionary effort. You get an email at five o'clock on a Friday. It asks you about a bid. It's going to take 30 minutes or so. <laughs> sure. Do, do you do the bid or, or do you wait until Monday or Tuesday or whatever? And uh, I think folks, especially in the rewards and recognition, the engagement space, they've always been trying to figure out how to calibrate and, and unlock that that discretionary effort. And and in the way that you've you know in the way that you're thinking about and I think about it very similarly uh, with quiet quitting, is I wonder how much of this and this will be the question, I wonder how much of this is just exhaustion from COVID, or maybe even anxiety around the inflation or the elections or something like that. Like how much of this is just we would be here already because of just what the trauma that we've just been through. Yeah, you know, so I'm I'm in my uh, late 30s, <clears throat> and so when I started my my career, um, I I would work, you know, 60 65 hour weeks. I would work on Saturdays if right. I wasn't hitting my my quota. I would I would just stress myself out, and I back then couldn't even imagine a world like today where. Uh, I think this is safe to say where really employees and team members have a lot more power um, than they've ever had. Right. And, and so I do think that part of what you're saying is right. That, that yes, people are exhausted. And and that list that you just gave of COVID and inflation, it could go on for a really long time, <laughs> right? Like you, you could add in, you could right. add in Russia and uh -huh. uh, you could add, you could add in anything you wanted. And, and um, I think, I think in the past, we've kind of just muscled through our mental health issues, right? We've muscled through the anxiety or through the depression. And today, team members are, and employees are, are speaking up. And, and I think that's a wonderful transition. Now, do I think the pendulum can swing too far? I really do. I really, I really think at some at some point, if employees aren't willing to contribute or look around the office and figure out another way that they can make things better, or you know, hit their number because uh, and it, even if it takes forty five hours instead of forty, eventually businesses can't sustain that, right? Like even if we want them to and feel like the business should be responsible, at some point, there's a tipping point where where it causes the business to have to say, well, we, we can't employ you then, or we can't employ this many people, or we can't do X, Y, or Z. And so I do think that, that there does need to be this balance of, um, Hey, the world is different and therefore we need to be different. But I also think we can't get too extreme on that. Who drives that, who drives that recognition of that kind of, we'll just, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly, by the way. So the world has changed. 
Uh, we went from a concept of work-life balance, which I'm not sure that any of us really had pre-pandemic, <laughs> sure. to work-life integration. Okay, we have, we see our cats on on Zoom calls and etc. Um, but you're you're right. You're absolutely right. At one point, the business the business can't sustain a certain model. I mean, uh, n- no organization, nonprofit or otherwise, can sustain a certain model. So, who drives that? Like, is it the employees that drive? that or is it the business that drives where where that tipping point is i guess is what i'm trying to figure out well and i i think the answer has changed i think i think five ten fifteen years ago and and beyond it was absolutely the employer that set the line i think in the last 18 months we've seen a dramatic shift where the employee is setting the line and what i hope is that we find some some really good middle ground like because I'm both an I'm both uh, an executive member, and I'm I'm an employee. I'm an executive right. member with four kids that play basketball and gymnastics, and like I want that work life balance too. But I also want um, some I don't know what the right word is. If it's um, so I want some security from my employer, but my right. employer can only provide security if if the business is successful, right? And so I hope that we find a better middle ground where people are, are taken care of and the employer is doing the right thing. Um, I, maybe I can share this. This is, might be a little off topic, William, when my, when I'm interviewing, um, or hiring and, and, or talking with my team members, they'll often in the very beginning of our relationship, they'll be like, well, tell me about PTO or do you need me to do this? You know, do you, do I need to give you super advanced notice? And I kind of have this three, these three things that I ask and I say, please be honest with Motivosity or our employer, right? Whatever company I'm working for, please, please be honest with our employer. And second, do amazing work. Like whatever work you're doing, make it really, really great. And then third, do whatever you need to do after that. Like go live your life, go to the Halloween party at the kindergarten, at your, at your kid's kindergarten. Right. And so um, for me, that works out really well. And, and I'm probably lucky with the team members I, I get to work with that's rarely abused. And and to me, that is an example of the employer providing the flexibility and the employee still taking ownership and us working together to solve both the business and the personal goals. I love that. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about re-engaging. So we, we can all recognize that, okay, we've been through trauma and the trauma has uh, impacted businesses in so many ways. We probably needed a, another two or three hours to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> let's just talk about the the topic at hand in terms of employees maybe not giving a hundred percent of themselves. We'll just kind of call that what that is. Um, how do we how do we how do we bring them back to the table? How do we engage them or re-engage them in a way? That, that that business is what that's good for both sides that's good yeah. as you said already good for the employer and good for the the employee i've i've got two stats that i'll share with you um one is first gallup says that 70 percent of a person's employee engagement the variance in that score 70 percent of it is based off of the person's manager right and so your your company could have a really great pto policy you could have unlimited pto but if the manager makes their team members feel guilty every time they leave the office that's the lens that the team member has to look through the at the pto policy and so um first i think we re-engage people through managers and actually i'd like to change what i said 
I think we re-engage people through mentors, right? And, mm. and average, average, average people will be managers, great people will be mentors. And so um, if, if you want to re-engage your team members, then your managers probably need to be having somewhat consistent one-on-ones, whether that's weekly or bi-weekly, like those conversations and not just making them about work, but having time to talk about personal or professional goals and, and allowing the individual to contribute to the agenda. Like those interactions make a massive difference in how engaged your team members feel. The second thing I would say is, uh, and we just did a survey, Motivosity did a survey um, about um, happiness in the workplace and and engagement in the workplace. We surveyed 2,000 people and 75% of those respondents said that their mental health would improve if they were recognized for their work more often. people really, really want to know they're doing a good job. Like they want to know that their work matters and that they're contributing. And um, guess what? A quarterly MVP award that they may or may not win doesn't cut it. Right. And so being able to um, recognize and thank and appreciate your team members is a great, uh, like I would use the word jumpstart. If you can create a culture of gratitude, it will help like jumpstart those dead batteries or those disengaged batteries and, and help people see that they work at a place where, where what they're doing matters to the people they're working with. And, and I think those are my two answers, William. Gratitude and, and managers are, are key. Well, you, you mentioned, Logan, you mentioned a wonderful point, and I, I want to ask you, get your take on like micro-engagement and micro-recognition. So instead of, as you said, that quarterly award that you may or may not win, uh, do, do, you, do you believe that there's just a, um, both from the employee side, that there's a desire to have things happen faster? Um, and also from the employer side, do you think that they just need to, <laughs> you know, they need to use gratitude and and uh, dole out gratitude on a more frequent basis or velocity. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and William, I don't I don't want to uh, to go too deep into motivosity, um, but that's that's exactly the foundation of of our platform. We we believe in in recognizing the good on a day-to-day basis. And so what we do is we recruit all of your team members to look for the good and we give them a few dollars every month. And the only thing they can use those dollars for is to say thank you to their peers and their team members and and the people they work with. And so like in the world I live in um, and, and what we do to help our customers, and, and this goes to what should companies do, um, they typically have av- the average employees recognized three to five times a month. And, and so when you speak about micro recognition, that's exactly what we do. And, and we see what that does to cultures. It's, it's not about the dollars. It's about how do people feel at work and are they excited to get up on Monday morning? And, and when they feel appreciated, they just do better. I love that. And with peers getting back to, I love the peer recognition and being able to give them dollars and also, you know, show gratitude. I'm really thankful that you did this, uh, et cetera. Um, do you, do you also see a relationship with, uh, discretionary effort with peers in terms of those that are, you know, those that are rewarding people and showing gratitude, maybe, you know, maybe there's a, a relationship with less of, of that discretionary effort or more discretionary effort. The more gratitude you show, the more discretionary effort you get, et cetera. Do you see yeah. that? 
we we call it we call it a gratitude loop, right? Oh, when I cool. when I say thank you to someone, I as the as the giver, as the as the person saying thanks, I'm better, right? Like I'm a little bit happier. In fact, Sean Aker has has a book called The Happiness Advantage, and he talks about the impact of gratitude on your own personal health. In fact, that's an amazing TED Talk. I think it has 16 million views, and and Sean's an incredible speaker. But he talks about how the the person expressing the gratitude is better. And of course, the person receiving the gratitude is happier, right? Like they're better and they feel recognized. And what's actually kind of cool is the the third part of that gratitude loop is the observers, like the people that get to see that that culture of gratitude happening, they're also better. And so really there's this massive halo effect around anytime you say or hear thank you, it really packs impacts everybody with within the radius and and um and so absolutely now um you kind of it's easy to say well what does gratitude do why does that make me a better employee well healthy uh, excuse me gracious um grateful people are mentally healthier they're physically healthier they have fewer sick days they work harder they're more willing to help a teammate right and and so there are so many positive results of of a culture of gratitude so, and I would assume that this is just hand in hand, but let's just make sure authenticity and gratitude, because uh, I can see where that gets sideways if people just don't feel like it's authentic. But I would I would also assume that most of most of gratitude is authentic. But what's the what's the what's what have you seen with especially with the gratitude loop and being authentic and and giving and receiving uh, and observing uh, gratitude. Yeah, maybe maybe I can share this story. Um, I report to our CEO, and he's a, a successful man and and a, a really great leader. Uh, this was this story happened early in my time working for him, and so you know you're meeting one on one with your CEO, new job, new executive, and it's a little little anxiety inducing, right? And um, one day we had a one on one, and it went it went pretty well. It was a, a pretty good meeting. And I left that meeting and, and he sent me a note and the note had a picture of the, of a justice league preview, right? So it had wonder woman and the flash and, and above that note or above that picture, he wrote a note and it said, Logan, I love where you're taking, uh, I love where, where marketing at motivosity is going. It's like, we're the new justice league. And I, I read that appreciation and I looked off into the corner of the office and I was like, I am the Batman of marketing, right? Like, like all it took was that one authentic recognition and it changed my relationship. And so I think, I think you're right. If it's inauthentic, if if it doesn't feel real, it doesn't have the impact. Right. But I also think if you're looking for the good, it's not that hard to find something to be authentic about whether it, you know, I, I literally saw someone yesterday on, on our, on our platform and they said, Hey, thanks so much for coming over to say, hi, I needed, I needed to talk to somebody and glad you came over. Right. And like, how, how is that small thing? Like, how does that not build a better relationship with a peer and how are we not better employees when we, when we have those kinds of interactions? I think that's what fascinates me the most about, you know, the rewards and recognition space in general and engagement space in general is we used to celebrate the large things. So the people in sales would know this, you know, the the top 100 club or the centenary club or whatever. And at the end of the year, 
you know, who excelled over quota and they'd go to Hawaii. Like it was, it was a big deal, of course, and very important, uh, but it was big things. And we could take that in a lot of different directions, but it seems like now it's, it's even more important to recognize the little things or the small things, like, you know, people helping you with a presentation, people carving out time to help you <laughs> craft an email or, you know, help you with a Slack message or whatever, like little tiny, you know, tiny things. Those are just as important as the larger things that we used to celebrate. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and um, and and it is interesting how that shifted. Like as you're talking about that, I don't know that I can. At first, I want to blame social media, um, <laughs> but I I don't know that there's any blame to be had. Meaning, right. it's, it's probably a positive thing that we're 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 trying to um, we're celebrating small milestones because the small milestones are what get us to the big milestones. Love it. Last last question I have, and it's just really an extension of an earlier conversation is quiet quitting as it relates and maybe that uh, re-engaging them as it relates to remote or hybrid work. Do you think that some of the, again, do you think that some of where we're at right now with quiet quitting is because not just the trauma and all that stuff, but also just the way that work fundamentally changed? And if so, how do we change that? Or how do we, how do we re-engage folks? Yeah, there's, there is something about an office setting where you overhear about other problems or you see something broken or you, you know, see food left in the, in the lunchroom or the fridge (laughs) needs to be cleaned out. Right. There's something about like these visual prompts that, that you don't have when you're at home. Um, I also think that, that it's so easy to get frustrated at when there's anonymity, meaning, meaning, if that's just some person on the other side of the world or the country that sent you a jerky email, like it's just easy to assume the worst. Right. Right. Whereas if you're sitting down face to face, it's a lot easier to see, Oh, here's, here's what they probably meant. Or I can see that something else is going on. And so I think that working from home adds some really obvious friction and friction makes it easier for people to disengage or to quiet quit. That's all there is to it. The harder we make something, the less likes, likely we are to accomplish it. And so, um, again, like, do I think that that we need to be really flexible and and uh, and allow people to live really great lives? Absolutely. Do I think that it's the employee's job to decide? Like, to me, it's the employee's job to decide if they don't like what the employer is offering or providing or expecting, then we get to choose to go somewhere else. And I think that maybe we should be a little bit more self-reflective than expecting every employer to adjust to every need. And here's the reason why. Employers can't accommodate everyone in every situation. And, and if employees don't understand that, then they'll never be satisfied. And so I hope that all of us, employers, executive teams, managers, uh, entry-level employees, I hope we'll be really self-reflective about what we need and what we what we want and why we need and want those things. And, and hopefully that leads to some powerful mutual conversations. Drops mic, walks off stage. Logan, thank you <laughs> so much. This has been so wonderful. And I, again, I haven't done a quiet quitting podcast uh, because I've been avoiding it. To, to be quite honest. Um, but this has been wonderful and you've tackled it in such a wonderful way. So thank you so much for your time. William, I appreciate you. Can I make an offer to your audience if if there's sure. 
if there's someone that needs help, motivosity or quiet quitting or anything aside, if somebody needs help on a on a making a LinkedIn post move a little faster or finding a job or connecting with somebody, I, I'm happy to be a resource. I've I've built up my LinkedIn and and uh, like to offer that out to people. So I'm easy to find there, and it's a small world. We need all the friends we can get. We do. Thank you so much, Logan. I appreciate you. And thanks, everyone, for listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting Daily.